0: And they opened their Christmas shop in September. <laughs> and the chap who was, who was working downstairs, who took in the deliveries, he said, Oh, he says, he's lost all the real meaning of Christmas. So I was half expecting him to say something. Oh, is this man a Christian? No, he said, it's all about family. And I thought, oh, poor man, he doesn't understand a thing about I thought, Christmas is in the Word, Christ. He wasn't actually as far out as I thought he was. <laughs> let's, let's, let's start reading in, in Luke's Gospel. I might spoil your Christmas this year by what I'm going to say. <laughs> but let's see. Chapter 2. And we'll read that very, very well-known passage of scripture, which are always in the Nine Lessons and Carols and it came to pass in those days there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria and all went to be taxed every one to his own city and Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judah unto the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was the house and lineage of David to be taxed Mary his espoused wife being great with child and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, And wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And what was read the rest of it? And then there were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came down upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And uh, the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Hallelujah. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. This is the sign. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was a multitude, an angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth. So on earth, peace, goodwill toward men and it came to pass as the angels had gone away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger and when they had seen it they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child and this is such a familiar story we read it and we miss all sorts of things and the first thing is, it is about family. And this is what I've discovered. It's to do with the family of, of ben, the, the David's family, the family who lived at Bethlehem. We, we read about this right back in um, 1 Samuel 16. We're going to go right back. We're going to have a little bit to discover. The thing is about this story. It's, we look at it from our perspective, as Westerners. But it's a Jewish story, and set in a Jewish situation. And when we begin to start understanding it, it becomes lovely. 1 Samuel 16. Oh, missed it. Where is Samuel? Here we are Samuel? 1 Samuel 16. When the, 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 the Israelites went into the land, they were all, all the tribes were given certain areas. And uh, Bethlehem, all the area south of Jerusalem, was given to the land of Judah. There was a section in the middle of Reuben, but the most of it was given to the land of Judah, which means praise. Um, 1 Samuel 16, 4. No, start at verse 1. Um, Sam, this is talking about Samuel, and he says... Samuel, how long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing how I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thy horn with oil, and go, I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? And he talks about it. So they were going to Bethlehem. Samuel did what the Lord spake, came to Bethlehem, verse 4, and then he goes through all the sons of Jesse and doesn't find anybody the Lord says, no, that's not the one, that's not the one. And he said, have you got any more sons? He said in verse 11. And he said, are, they, are these all the children you've got? And he said, well, there remains a youngest. Behold, he keeps a sheep. Remember this, he keeps a sheep. Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and bought him. Now he was ruddy and with... With all of beautiful countenance and good to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of the bread. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So this is the same place. This is the same place. This is the family home of Joseph. Now he lived in Nazareth. But this was a family home. I had to go back to the family home for the census so we have a family situation here we can see we can see there's other, there are other passages um, which talk about um, we'll, we'll look at it a bit later on um, one, of the, one of the other people who came from, from there was Ruth she came and that's where she lived let's, let's look at that if we look in Ruth in 1 I'm to remember where the roof is what should we judge Ruth? Ruth 1. Ruth's family and his, had gone with the father and their two sons had gone to live in Moab. They'd got married. The sons had got married to Moabitess women. Uh, one was Orpah and Ruth. Orpah and Ruth. Both his father, her husband, two sons, all died and she was left with nothing. So she said, "I'm going home. I'm going back to where I come from." She's going back to her family. She came, and, uh, and Ruth said, "I'm coming with you." So Ruth went with her, and she, she was a Moabite. She didn't really belong living in there, just the same as we don't belong in the family of God. But because we're in Christ, we're in a place where we don't really, be- where we wouldn't have really belonged. Isn't that wonderful? It's the same picture? So they we went back to Bethlehem. He said. So the two went in verse 19 and came to Bethlehem and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem and all the city was moved about them. Now why did they go to Bethlehem? Back in verse um, of Mr. I haven't written this down and we're in here. The reason they had to go back was because was. they said there was bread in the, in the land. And what's the name what was the name of what's the Bethlehem mean? House of bread. Bethlehem means house of bread. So they came back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. That's a picture of Jesus, the house of bread. So they came back there. And she sent them, "The Lord has brought me home empty," Naomi said. But she stayed with the roof and remember that that her nearest kinsman was Boaz. And Boaz, now we had a kinsman and a husband, a mighty man of wealth, and the family of um, Elimelech, which was her husband who died, and his family was Boaz. So they went to Boaz. They went back to the family home. This is always very important. In, if you read in Leviticus about the years of Jubilee, if somebody had to sell a piece of land, it went back to the family after the 50 years. Because the whole thing about their about the inheritance was in the land. I will bring you into a land. So it was all to do with inheritance it was to do with the land. So it was really important. So when they were in trouble, they went back to their inheritance. Always went back to the inheritance. They went back to their family. And so, this is the same, so this is the same situation we have when they're going to have to move from Nazareth to go to Bethlehem. They go and they stay with their family. I'll show you that. They don't stay at holiday in. <laughs> they say the family. Because when we look in Luke chapter 2, let's just while you're looking for that, I'm going to look on in, in chapter 3, verse 32. The, who was the great um, grandfather of who who was David's? The son of David, the son of Jesse, Obed, and Boaz. Yeah. You see? So David was a great-grandfather of Boaz. Have I got it the right way round? Or the other way round? The other way round. It's very difficult here. They go the other way round. Yes, they were related. So they went back to the house of David. It was all the same. It was all related together. So if we, if we look in verse, Luke verse 7, she bought for her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now I've looked at these these, these uh, things. What did it mean? There was no room. Well, most of the time that word is doesn't mean there's not enough room. Locked, there's not enough room on my plate for my dinner. It's not that type of room. It means a place. When Jesus went out in a desert place, that's the same word. So it means a place. There was no place for them in the. And now the word in is an interesting word. Why? In is only time it was mentioned as in is in this verse. Two other places, it's guest room. Remember when Jesus was going to have the last supper, and he said, "I think he said, look for a man with a pitcher, was it? A, a jo- a, was it was a donkey. I can't remember what the, the story was. It's gone out of my mind." And he said, "He'll lead you. You follow him, and he will have a room." And they had a, he led them. To an upper room. He had a guest room. It was that room, and the other part is in another passage in one of the other gospels, which says, and it's usually exactly the same room. So it's a guest room. So they've all come home for their taxation, and they're staying in all the rooms, and there isn't much room left. There's not a place. Now, what sort of place does she need? What, what, what sort of place does she need to go to? Now this is very interesting because when you read the Levitical law, when someone had a baby, they had to be separated off for seven whole days, because they were same as they did when they had the period. They had to be separ- any blood, any issue of blood, they had to be separated off for seven days. So, what, let's read what i read this because it's much more e- it's easier than me trying to explain it. So we're getting a little picture. They've come home. It's not an inn. It's not holiday inn. It's home. This is what I, and this is really what it's about. It's about family. Because they came back to the family. Right, now which section? Where, where does she go? So I've got all this on bits of paper. One. According to the Torah, when a woman had an of above for any reason, she was ritually unclean for that time and for seven days. She remained ceremoniously unclean until she was purified by entering mikvah, which is water immersion, in the witness and presence of a rabbi. While she was richly unclean, she had to live separately from the rest of the family so as not to defile the people in the house as well. And by her presence, rendering them, them ceremonially unclean. Therefore, during these times, the woman would leave and stay by in a nearby area where she would be not defile the home. During childbirth and with the issue of blood loss, the same rule applied to giving birth, and that's in uh, Leviticus 12. 2 to 4. When you give birth, separate it off for seven days. Which might be difficult for the poor husband unless he wants to be. He can go and see her, but then he'd have to go for all the rituals of cleansing afterwards. So she would defile the family, make it necessary for them to be ceremonially purified by both a ritual immersion and a sacrifice. Therefore, the woman would leave the home and give birth elsewhere. After the cessation of blood and the required time of waiting for purification, the woman and the child will perform the necessary rituals for purification to be ceremonially clean and return to the household with the rest of the family. Thus, the understanding there being no place for them in the guest house or guest area would be regarded as completely appropriate. There wasn't any place where they could go. This is no indication that she was summarily ostracised to reside in a stable by a family who cared for her well-being. So here we have a bit of a different picture of a donkey going along and all the inns going, no, you can't come in here, there's no, no room, no room, no room. It's not, it's a family situation. They've gone home to their family because that's where they came from. The family place would have still been there. They may want well have still been shepherds because that's where David was a shepherd, at Bethlehem, same place. So where did she have her baby? Well, we know that one of the places in, um, in Micah we can read, in Micah, in Matthew 2, we go to Matthew 2 and we start reading about the, the shepherds, not the shepherds, the wise men coming, in chapter 2. And they say to Herod, when the wise men come in, Herod says, well, where is this man to be born? He starts talking, where is the Messiah to be born? And they said unto him, Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So that is in Micah. You want to write that down? Uh, that's in Micah 5.2. That's a prophecy. The Lord said to me something funny in this. He said, did you know that prophecies written 700 years before the events are more accurate than what people write after them? <laughs> They are, aren't they? The prophecies of God are more accurate than what people say about an event afterwards because they come from all their different perspectives. But when he says something, you'll see how exact the prophecies of God about Jesus are in his birth. It's wonderful. So where did she go to have his baby? Well, there's another little verse. And this verse is written on Alison's units in her kitchen. Micah. It really is, isn't it, Alison? It is? (laughs) Everybody will know that, won't they? (laughs) Micah 4, verse 8. This is is another prophetic word from God. Micah 4, 8. It was recognised by the Jews as being a prophetic word about Messiah coming. But thou, O tower of the flock, as the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now that's a messianic prophecy, isn't it? The kingdom shall come. Where? The tower of the flock. Where's the tower of the flock? Genesis 35, 19. I got stirred up with this because somebody came to me and said, how did, and I asked Luke this, how did the Shepherds know where to go because they go straight off, don't they? They know exactly where to go. Genesis 35. I've seen. Right, this is when Jacob, God spoke to him at the, at the, um, God had spoken to him at Bethel, and he journeyed, verse 16, and he journeyed from Bethel. And there was, a little way, came to Epaphra, first night, Epaphra. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. That's not because she was in prison, and it came to pass when she was in hard labor. And the midwife said unto her, "Fear not, though she'll have this son also." And it came to pass as her soul was departing, for she died, she called the name Ben-Omi, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Paphra, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day, and Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. Now, Edar is the word for flock. This is the same tower, the tower of the flock, where Rachel died and was buried. Hallelujah. We're still in Bethlehem. So, it's called Migdal Eda. And that's the same tower. Let's read another little bit. This is from Ida Shum. I can never pronounce his name. He's a Jewish man who's written a book called The Life and Times of the Messiah. I'll read it. I'll read right before we start. Micah the Jewish prophet foretold the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem. Also prophesied, And you, O tower of the flock, in Hebrew, Migdal-Eda, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto you shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Although obscure and often overlooked, Micah disclosed that the Messiah who embodied the hope of the kingdom was to be revealed from Migdal-Eda, the tower of the flock. So that's where he was going to come from. That verse we read about the, the going round in Genesis, we just read about the going past the tower. The Jewish writers, when they were in Babylon, wrote lots of writings when they were in... Apparently. I know this because I've read it on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> in addition, Migdal Eder is also mentioned in, well, by the Jewish writings, and it's translated, the anointed one of the flock of Israel. Hallelujah. Another one, another one of the writings cited by Rabbi Monk, paraphrases Genesis 35, which we just read, 23, and and Micah 4.8, which we also read, he spread his tent beyond Migdale, Eder, the place where King Messiah will reveal himself at the end of days. So they knew. They knew that Messiah was going to come to this place. And this place, we've now found, is at Bethlehem. So, Where did did she have her baby? Close by, where the shepherds were camped that night in the northern part of Bethlehem on the road to Jerusalem, was a tower known as Migdal Eda, the watchtower of the flock. This was a station where the shepherds bought their flocks destined for the sacrifices in the temple. For animals found as far as Jerusalem to the north of Bethlehem, within that circle on every side, the males were offered as burnt offerings and the females as peace offerings. So these were not just ordinary shepherds. These were shepherds who were looking after the flock, which was designated to be going for the sacrifice. Isn't that incredible? Look at the picture of who Jesus is, the Lamb of God. No wonder John said, behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. These shepherds were nowhere to go. On the night which Jesus was born, the angelic message came to those priests of the temple whose duties had been designated, often from their youth, to keep watch over their flock. They were not just any flock. The shepherd kept them were men who were specially trained for this royal tasks. They were educated in what animal that was to be sacrificed had to be. And it was their job to make sure that none of the animals were hurt, damaged or blemished. During lamb and season, the sheep were brought to the tower from the fields... Where are we going from there? Lost it. Oh here we are. To the lower level, function as a birthing room as a sacrificial lamps. Being themselves under special rabbinical care, these priests would strictly maintain a ceremonially clean birthing place. It was like a hospital. It was clean. Jesus wasn't come in a dirt and a mess and a straw. It was clean. Once birthed, the priestly shepherds would routinely place the lambs in hewn depressions of limestone rocks known as mangers, and wrap the newborn lambs in swaddling clothes, preventing them from thrashing about so they didn't damage themselves and make themselves have any damage on them for the sacrifice. But then they would examine them and make sure they were perfect. Isn't that an incredible? Jesus was laid in the same place as those lambs were laid. Ain't that wonderful? The Lamb of God came. Isn't that incredible? You see, they had to have a perfect sacrifice. Always had to have a perfect sacrifice. In Leviticus, I won't read it, they had to check. And there's a whole list of things they have to check for to make sure the Lamb is completely perfect. Now, let's look at where these lambs were destined. In Genesis, so Exodus 29. This is just wonderful. Exodus 29, 38. Many of the sacrifices that you had to do, you could substitute. So if you weren't very wealthy, you could end up with a pigeon and sacrifice a pigeon. I think it was a pigeon involved. Because it depended how wealthy you were. So you didn't all have to have a lamb or a bullock or whatever else. You could, but there was one sacrifice which was only could only be Un, with totally perfect and unblemished lambs. And this is the sacrifice, this is one of the sacrifices that was like that. I've lost, it's Exodus 29, 38. The first 37 Seven days thou shalt make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and it shall be an altar most holy. Whatsoever toucheth the altar shall be holy. Now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. Uh, the one lamb they should offer in the morning the other lamb they should offer at the evening and the one lamb, and then it goes on about all also they had the two lambs every day one in the morning and one in the evening one lamb was sacrificed at the third hour and one lamb was sacrificed at the ninth hour let's go to Mark chapter 15 see this is the real meaning of Christmas it is just family, but it's more than that. It started twenty-two. Mark fifteen, twenty-two. And they they bring him to a place called Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they crucified him, they parted their garments, casting lots upon them. Every man what every man should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. Hallelujah. Let's move on. They said, let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. This is verse 32. And they that crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And gave up the ghost. Incredible. The picture is so clear. The two, he did it, they had a continual sacrifice, didn't they? If we look in Hebrews 9, he said he was offered without spot. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, he was our Passover. Christ our Passover. In 1 Peter 1, let's read that, 18 and 19. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversational way of life, received by tradition from your fathers, which is talking about the way they lived in the old covenant, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained, before the foundation of the world what was manifest or shown in these last times for you who by him do you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope may be in God seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit under unfeigned love of the brethren love one another being we were born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible the word of God which lives and abides forever We're born again because of what he did on that cross. He became what those two lambs were. He was totally pure. He was without spot. He was without wrinkle. He was wonderful, wasn't he? In Hebrews 10, 9, we see something else. You saw that that had a special name, which meant that sacrifice had a special name, which meant a continual sacrifice, because it was going on continuously every day, 365 days a year, 730 lambs a year being sacrificed. Whose lambs were David looking after, do you think, at Bethlehem? I bet he was looking after. That's why he, he was so keen to keep them away from the wild animals. Because they were God's lambs. They weren't just any old lambs. They were God's lambs. They were God's, lambs, they were God's sheep. Isn't it wonderful? David, I think David looked after God's sheep that were ready for the sacrifice. I reckon he did. Because he was there at Bethlehem. The whole area around Bethlehem, as we read was for the lambs were there for the sacrifice he says in some other part if somebody mentioned Bethlehem you know immediately that was the place where the lambs were, were reared for the sacrifice let's look in Hebrews 10 9 we saw then that they had to do this all the time it was a continual sacrifice it went on and on and on ad infinitum but in Hebrews 10 he says I'll read in verse 9 and he said this is Jesus lo I come to do thy will O God he takes away the first, that's the old covenant. This, this, what we've been reading about all these sacrifices. That he may establish the second covenant which we're in. By which we are sanctified for the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest standing daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can't take away sins but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God wow, this is what Jesus this is what Christmas is about this is what Christmas is about have you seen your Christmas card sometimes we we see we saw one there today with a star in the shape of a cross because it's the cross overshadows it the whole thing the reason for Jesus' birth was the cross. was a sacrifice. It wasn't for anything else, really, in the end. It was so he could come as a perfect lamb and live a perfect life so that we could live in him and live his perfect life. Isn't that absolutely one? Once and for all. And he's the lamb, it says in Revelation, I couldn't find, I didn't have time to look for this, who was slain before foundation of the world. Who's the one who sits on the throne in heaven? The Lamb of God. This is, the one. this is what we celebrate at Christmas. The coming of the Lamb of God. So that's how the shepherds knew where to go. That's the answer. Because they knew where the lambs were going to be laid. They knew what the manger meant. Wonderful. This is the reality of our Christmas this year. That he's come. As we celebrate Christmas, we don't celebrate the tree and the presents. We celebrate Christ. The Lamb, as John the Baptist said... Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Amen. Isn't he wonderful this morning? Hallelujah. Or hail the Lamb yes. enthroned on high. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. After you can see the seven days, because on the eighth day, remember they went off, didn't they, to the temple, to offer the, offer the things, didn't they? So that's when, they, when he was circumcised on the eighth day, it was after, that's why it was the eighth day. There's another reason why it's the eighth day, did you know there's another reason why it's the eighth day? It's when the blood clots the best after a baby's born. Did you know that? So when they did the circumcision, it was the right day. It was the day when the blood clotted the best. Isn't it wonderful? God is so wonderful. You see, as soon as they saw, saw, he started quoting. As soon as Simeon saw the baby, he starts quoting Old Testament. He starts quoting the the prophecies, doesn't he? You see? Um, In Luke. Where was it? He says, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all the people. Then he quotes Isaiah, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. So they kept the law. Jesus had been kept the law there. And it's a wonderful picture. And the other thing I didn't say about, about the house, when the wise men came, where did they go? Where did they go? They followed the star. Where to? It's in Matthew. I'll just quickly share that with you. And you'll see that why I'm saying it's a family time is because they were at home in the family. It says in Matthew, I'll have to find it myself now, uh, 3.11, this is the the, um, the wise men. When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary and his mother and fell down and worshipped him. So they were living at home, in a house, in a home. It was family. The Jews have always been very, very... Important about family. So when they went, it wasn't that they were, had nowhere to go and had to find Holiday Inn. No, it wasn't like that. Because when we, the only other place we, I didn't mention about the inn was the only other time inn is mentioned is in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And that word means somewhere where people who are strangers come to stay. So they, they, That's not the type of inn they came to. It was a different inn. It was a different place. It's a chamber. It was an area. So this wonderful family it's a family time. We're God's family. Like Naomi, um, Ruth, Naomi, she became into the family of God, didn't she? She came into the family. It's all part of the family of God. This morning, that's what He did, because He brought us into His family, and we live in His family. Where do we live in His family? Where do we live? We live in heaven. We live in heaven with the Lamb. Wonderful. It's Hallelujah. Sorry for getting those bits. (laughs) Hallelujah.